This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 31st of July 2012. I always advise newcomers to the broadcast to help themselves to the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and it goes back for many years and you can get lots and lots of free audios for download and you'll start to understand the system you're born into, the system that's very, very organized at the top, although they give you nothing but confusion at the bottom. That's the, that's the job of the media is to make you think that things are just happening in your lifetime on the spot and uh, politicians get in and suddenly deal with crisis that just come out of the blue. Nothing is further from the truth. You're living through a planned society, a planned agenda, and the, the boys who got together, the big money boys, over a 100 years ago got together and hired academia, massive think tanks, thousands of them, still, do, still have them, and they thought they'd run the world in a scientific fashion. And also, they, they deemed themselves higher up the evolutionary scale, and so they had the right to to own most of, or all actually, all of the resources on the planet. They wanted to take it all over, including the human resources, and also unite countries into trading blocks. Uh, they would naturally uh, put central banks in, which they have done, and eventually these central banks would come under the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland, which has already happened through the Euro crisis. So we're living through a very planned agenda, including the wars that are going on right now too. Now these things are all published by many of the big boys themselves in their own books, love memoirs uh, and biographies, because they like to boast about it when, they, when they're getting old and they're retiring. And so there's lots of old books that are about it, but Carol Quigley is certainly worth reading, and many of the, those involved in the Council on Foreign Relations put out their books. Hass will eventually put out his own books, and it'll be quite startling to see what he puts in them, of course. He's the head of the, the Council on Foreign Relations right now. So anyway, help, you, you help yourself to the audios, and remember, too, you can get uh, uh, print-ups as well for a lot of the transcripts uh, for, of the audios I've done in those sites. Go into Alan Watts Sentient Sentinel for transcripts in other languages if you want to print them up. And remember, too, you bring me to you, the audience. I don't bring on advertisers as guests. I'm not selling you things that will make you live forever. I don't have shares in any companies or corporations or anything like that. All I do is sell the books and discs at cuttingthroughmatrix.com, and you can donate as well. So go into the site. You'll find out how to do it. Remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can use personal checks and international postal money orders from your post office. And you can send cash or you can use PayPal across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram and PayPal. And if you don't understand history, you won't understand what's happening. That's very, very simple because history teaches you the cons of managing vast populations. There's nothing today that's happening as far as the cons are. Cons are simply formulas. Plato talked about them. He said that the formulas which have worked in the past, this is thousands of years ago, he said this. Uh, and made people change their behavior uh, and influence their behavior will always work again if you use them in the right sequence of implementation. And so that's why you get the same cons over and over again, and the public don't even know it's happening to them. That's the beauty of it. Today it's even more perfected because you're living through an age 
of instant communication and really universal standardized information where everyone's getting the same data all the time at the same time. And again, it's put out by the guys at the top. Remember, the Council on Foreign Relations is worldwide and they have different names for different countries. But um, it's, at the head, you have the Royal Institute of International Affairs based in Britain. They're, they're specialized branches like the Royal Society, etc., to guide all the scientists along the right paths. And they have m- many other specialized areas too, and think tanks. Club of Rome, for instance, and the United Nations, which they set up as well. They own the media, the mainstream media. If you look into their own websites, and I've put the links up many times, you'll find uh, that uh, the articles they put up are copied immediately by their own members in all national papers and international papers. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and... I've warned folks so many times about Facebook and so on. It doesn't matter, though, because you can't help the general herd. And that's a fact. Most folk belong to the herd, and they, they want to belong to the herd. It's up to the, each individual to become an individual and kind of leave the herd and stop going along with the flow. If you do, you, you go to your own destruction eventually in many, many ways. Many ways to go to destruction. And, and Facebook, of course, is put up there. And all these things are, are, are belong to the NAC, etc., etc. Anyway, here's another... Another uh, group that's getting out of Facebook, and it's actually for musicians, it's called Limited Run. It's a platform for labels, musicians, and artists. And they go through quite a good little article here. I'll put this up tonight, link for you at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and you can read it for yourselves. But they go through the, the cons of Facebook, and they're charging, etc. Even if you want to change your name, like these guys did, because they used to go under a different name, uh, they'd have to pay a, a couple of a thousand dollars more in advertising costs to get it done. Uh, and things like that. It's big, big money, of course. But they're also using a lot of cons to do with the numbers and the stats of the hits they give on the sites. And they charge you for these hits if you're advertising with them. So they go through all of this too and show you how the cons work. And people are always on and on and on about First Amendment rights in the U.S. and Second Amendment rights and so on. And they, it's quite evident, it's been evident for an awful long time, an awful, awful long time. Even if you go back into the 70s, I think it was, when the Council on Foreign Relations, they put out their own magazine, Foreign Affairs it's called, and all the big wigs read Foreign Affairs across the world. But it said that if they couldn't, they weren't going to hit the Constitution, the Bill of Rights head on like they'd always done in the past, they'd simply build laws around them. Uh, like superstructures over and under, and that's what they did a long time ago. So here's a high-ranking Department of Justice official on video who refuses to affirm First Amendment rights, and you can actually see this happening that we're in, in front of other people, etc. Uh, during inquiry, I think it was. So I'll put that up tonight too, and you can see how they treat your rights because they remember. <laughs> They're living up in an ivory tower, these guys at the top. They were brought up in a different class altogether of schooling and everything else, and family too, for that matter, and had a completely different view of the world and you down below. And we're in an authoritarian society. They've been, these guys have been brought up to be the authoritarians. And they're getting very blatant about it, in your face about it, that government is not there to serve the people. And, uh, and that's very, very true across the world today. They've trained the public in every country. 
that's, uh, that you are there, you're subjects now. You're all subjects to authority because you're an authoritarian system according to the Club of Rome, which the CFR set up as the think tank for the United Nations. And they go through the whole future for you, for those who want to go into it. Another thing, too, is as we go down the road into the total destruction of the family, and plus contraception was a big thing to do with this. I've got books going back into the 70s and 60s where they talked about this is this would just be the start. I'll put it by the, the big left-wingers. This would just be the start. And they said that eventually um, sex itself would become uh, this a recreational thing and promiscuity would become the norm. And eventually they'd, they'd go into child pornography too and do away with, with pedophilia's terms or terminology and all that would become normal as well. They're still working on that latter part, but they're not far from it, mind you. But it also they said that it would, uh, a lot of people would, they were talking about the average uh, pedophile, would suffer until they eventually changed all the laws, which they said would come to allow all this to happen. And uh, here's an article here. 50 police officers are arrested in child porn raids. Well, I guess these are poor souls. You see, they're just uh, the tail end before they change the laws and make it all legal. But anyway, it says 50 police officers across the UK have been arrested as part of a crackdown on suspected paedophiles who pay to access child pornography websites. The officers were amongst 1,300 people arrested on suspicion of accessing or downloading indecent images of children, some as young as five, from US-based internet sites. 35 men were arrested in London this morning as part of the investigation, codename Operation Orr, following raids on 45 addresses across the capital. Of the 50 policemen identified, eight have been charged to date. The remainder uh, bailed pending further inquiries. Scotland Yard said none of those arrested today today was a policeman. At a press conference in Scotland Yard today, Jim Gamble, Assistant Chief Constable of the National Crime Squad, said he's not surprised at the number of police officers amongst the suspects. And he says, as police officers, we should expect to be held accountable. He's, now, these guys are, are, are on the, they're walking the streets now searching everybody, including children, you understand. This is a time of pedophilia. And as they did initially when they brought out promiscuity, and then next thing they brought out was, was actually the lesbians who led the homosexuals into their freedoms, because I can remember it all happening. I didn't, I couldn't figure out why lesbians would be down in London with all the placards standing up for the male homosexual rights. But they were the ones who brought it in for them. But they said they used the same techniques eventually for pedophilia as well. And the exact same techniques would work since it worked with all the other ones before it. So as I say, this, these are probably the last articles you'll read on this as they get into what they call intergenerational sex, which is just pedophilia, but it sounds better, you see. And, um, but it's across the whole of society, as far as we can tell. It's, it's everywhere, and uh, it's going to get worse and worse as we go into utter chaos and destruction at the bottom, because that's the plan, of course. Now, uh, right to privacy. Here's another one, too, on the Constitution. I'll put a link up, and you'll hear Scalia uh, saying the right to privacy is not in the Constitution for those who uh, still think that uh, you're going by some kind of old laws. No, you're not. You're going by brand new laws. And they said that, again that the internet would change all of that too. And now they're using terrorism and they say that you can't have privacy because uh, we've got to find a terrorist and anyone can be one and you might become one without even knowing and they'll find out before you do, you see by, by the way that your mind is going and the, the clicks that you do and what sites you're visiting. Yeah, I'm not kidding. 
So we're, we're pretty well all there into the, the totalitarian society that they want. All they have to do now is bring us into utter austerity, and you will have riots or break out, of course, with those at the bottom, and and because they're the ones that suffer first of all. And the, the governments are all ready for that. They've been ready for years for what's to come. Uh, fracking. Fracking, of course, has got a lot of people upset because apart from busting up all the countryside, uh, and putting big tanks up everywhere. Uh, they're also using a lot of chemicals. And I've mentioned before, and i put up again tonight the list of chemicals they pump in to cause the fracking. They put it under high pressure, hydraulic pressure. And there's, you're scared, of course, because it's going to get into your water supply and so on. But now they've come up apparently with a new fracking method. They're saying, following a stream of dire headlines about plummeting natural gas prices, explorers and producers are finally beginning to shift their attention to advancements on the production side, more specifically to new natural gas extraction method. The new technology pumps a thick gel made from propane into the ground instead of using traditional methods of hydraulic fracking that make use of a mixture of water, sand, and chemicals. I'll put the list of chemicals up because <laughs> a lot of them are awfully deadly, indeed, very deadly. This is a plan shield gas drilling project in New York State has drawn global attention for its aim to make use of a waterless form of hydraulic fracking and the new technique designed to reduce the pollution associated with controversial natural gas drilling process. According to an industry report, the project is focused on using a technology that pumps a thick gel made from propane into the ground as opposed to using traditional methods of hydraulic fracking that make use of a mixture of water, sand and chemicals. Unlike traditional technologies, the gel from the new liquefied propane gas fracking methods reverts to vapour, while still underground, and as a, as a result returns to the surface in a recoverable form. According to the developer Calgary-based Jasfrac Energy Services, the gel also holds advantage over water-based methods, and it does not carry the chemicals used during the drilling processes back to the surface. So, we'll see. Well, there's always horrors comes out of every story afterwards, and we find more and more about them. So we'll see if this is better or if more horrors come out of this one. But uh, they're definitely doing an awful lot of fracking across uh, so many countries, especially in the States right now. It's really something else. Now, unemployment is part of uh, austerity, for those who don't understand that or think about it or know it. Remember, too, they understood the big boys, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, the guys that drafted up and worked on uniting Europe, for instance, the guys who drafted up the Charter for the Unification of the Americas, and they came out on, came out on uh, Canadian television at the time and told us, yeah, they were behind it from their own, own actual sites on television. But anyway, they also, according to economics, Margaret Thatcher also talked about this too, that they could never have a full employment because it was bad for the economy, you see. In other words, if you had full employment, then labor costs would be higher because you have to lure them to your particular place of work if they're already working with higher wages. So they always keep a mass of people uh, unemployed. And that's how Norton, this is the normal in economics, that's what's taught at university. But anyway, apart from that, it's going to go down and down and down into a new kind of semi-welfare state system, which they've already got a lot of countries like Britain, and that's to become the norm across the world. But uh, they only want a, a, a small group of people working eventually, and that's, that'll be when the riots all break out, of course, when they get to a certain... They'll even know the limit when you get to a certain number when the riots break out and people don't have jobs. But this says here, Eurozone unemployment is at a record high in June. 
And it says that the number of people unemployed across the 17 countries that use the euro, that's their, their cash system, hit a record high in June. Official figures show today Tuesday in a stark reminder that the European's debt crisis has ramifications beyond the financial markets. Eurostat, the EU statistics office, said 17.801 million people were out of work in the Eurozone in June. That was 123,000 more than May, and is the highest level since the Euro was formed in 1999. The increase was the 14th in a row, and it means around 2.25 million people have lost their jobs since April 2011. Despite the increase, the season-adjusted unemployment rate in June was unchanged, a record 11.2%. Without Germany's relatively low unemployment rate of 5.4%, the wider figures would be much worse. So they're plummeting too, as everything now is imported from China, the same as everywhere else, and there's very little manufacturing. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and everything really around you is a con today because they're, they're big plans afoot, you see, that must be fulfilled. And part of it is to make you give up all your rights to save the world and from, from a thousand different things. Everything except the proper thing, the politicians themselves and their governments. And uh, one of the big tactics, as you've all know, known for a long time, is the global warming and how they, they conned everyone by blatant lying and giving, getting special computers that always give you scary scenarios. That's all they churn out. They're specially made to give you scary scenarios. I should use them in Hollywood for some of their horror movies because they're pretty bad these days. But it says, have a look at this chart. It tells you pretty much all you need to know about the much-anticipated scoop by Anthony Watts of What's Up With That. And this is James Delling, Paul Tuck from The Telegraph talking. This is what it means in a nutshell is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, the U.S. government body in charge of America's temperature record, has systematically exaggerated the extent of the late 20th century global warming. In fact, it has doubled it. Is this a case of deliberate fraud by warmest scientists hell-bent on keeping their funding gravy train rolling? Well, after what we saw in Climate Gain, gate anything is possible. I mean, it's not like Noah is run by hard-left eco-activists, is it? Of course, he gives you a link to prove that they are. But, says, but I think it's more likely it's a case of confirmation bias. The warmers who compromise the climate scientist establishment spend so much time communicating with other warmers and so little time paying attention to the views of dissenting scientists such as Henrik Svensmark or Fred Singer or Richard Lindzen or indeed Anthony Watts that it simply hasn't occurred to them that their temperature records need adjusting downwards, not upwards. What Watts has conclusively demonstrated is that most of their weather stations in the U.S. are so poorly sighted that their temperature data is unreliable. Around 90% had had their temperature readings skewed by the urban heat island effect. While he was suspected, uh, he had suspected this for some time, what he's been able to do, unable to do it until his latest landmark paper, co-authored with Evan, Evan Jones of New York, Stephen McIntyre of Toronto, Canada, and Dr. John R. Christie from the Department of Atmospheric Science from Alabama, is to put precise figures on the degree of distortion involved. What they're talking about is, you see, they put all these, these thermometers and the little boxes up, and then they built cities around them. Well, concrete reflects all the heats and makes it stifling. Who, everybody who knows in the city knows this. And so it gives you false readings. And I mentioned that, I mentioned that back in 98. Anyway, it says there is, of course, one very, very sad aspect to the story. 
and it truly pains me to mention it, but journalistic duty compels me to do so, and that's the dampening effect it may have on the grandstanding of a hapless fellow by the name of Professor Richard Muller. Poor Professor Muller has been telling anyone who will listen, his amen corner and greeny lefty MSM, mainly, that as a former sceptic, he has now been forced by weight of evidence to conclude that global warming is definitely man-made, and there has been lots of it, a whole 1.5 degrees. Wow, that's like almost as much as you'd expect if you drove from London to Manchester since 1750. Tragically, as Watts is very reluctantly and by no means experiencing any kind of uh, schadenfreude, uh, had to point out that this, the data used by Muller to draw these conclusions was unreliable to the point of utter uselessness. So in the spirit of magnanimity and total crushing victory, I'd urge readers of this blog not to crow too much about the devastating, devastating blow Watts' findings will have on the Guardian's Battalion of Environmental Correspondence, on the New York Times, on NOAA, on Al Gore, on the Prince of Wales, on the Royal Society, on Professor Muller, or any of the other rent-seekers, uh, grant-grubbers, ecoloons, crony capitalists, junk scientists, and UN apparatchiks, EU technocrats, hideous porcine blobsters, demented squawking parrots, life-free loser trolls, and paid CACC amites, and true believers in the great global warming religion. Remember, too, this religion that they've created is, uh, it's all from the far left. They, they came up a long time ago when they came out of Eastern Germany. The wall went down and, and uh, lots of the communists moved into Europe big time and into the universities too. And because a lot of friends to get them jobs uh, and then start indoctrinating the children over in the West. And this is the next part of communists. It's a way to, to get in the same agenda. Because supposedly, uh, we've had, we've had people here in Canada in politics who've said that. It doesn't matter if it's all bunkum science. So if it's all lies and bunkum, it'll help redistribute, uh, redistribute the wealth across the world. That's what they said. Top politicians in Canada and elsewhere too. And that's what it's about. Getting you into austerity and taxing every, every joule of energy that you use. And eventually you're, in, you're now into a post-consumer society and you'll be paying your extra cash out on fees and energy bills and things like that. That's what they want. Because you understand communists are utter legalists. You understand who, who created communism, you understand legalism. They're the people of the legalism, you might say, all down through history. And they believe that people don't have the right to make decisions for themselves. It's far better. A special folk make decisions all for them. So I'll put this link up tonight too, and you can see it for yourself. I remember too about the global warming nonsense too. Uh, when Russia, Russia had thousands of uh, weather stations across Siberia, for instance, well, they all, they all closed down when the walls came down. And so all those readings are all missing from the charts. And believe you me, it's really cold along that way. And that would certainly skew the results if they bothered to use that again. They don't like to mention that fact. Anyway, HR 1905, Iran Sanctions, Accountability and Human Rights Act of 2012. This is the latest sanction, uh, sanction by, put out by the US on Iran. I'll put this up as well because I really try to hammer them and starve them into submission, just like they did with Iraq before they bombed it all hell. First they kill the people by, by, um, starvation and, and stopping food getting in and, and, and antibiotics. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and this article is about biometric databases, because it's, this is the way we're all going to go, uh, and it's getting pushed on everyone, whether they like it or not, and that is the agenda. And I've mentioned many times before, we're back in the 90s, on in a Canadian television uh, program, uh, Wendy Mesley did a show on the coming biometric system and the coming national identification card as well. Quite a good show. It shows you how it was done back then and how it would be. And she talks to one of the top guys in the corporation that makes a lot of these cards today. And at that time, the guy said, she asked the guy, she says, but me, she thinks the Canadians will actually go for it. And he says, well, they'll be given no choice. You see, that's the world you really live in. <laughs> that's the real world, you understand. And it'll always be that way as long as the public don't stand up and say, get off our backs. And they won't do that, you see. They're too happy and content. Anyway, it says, Israel's biometric database deemed harmful by high court justices. This is a heated debate in Israel underway about whether Israel's interior ministry will move ahead with the creation of a governmental biometric database containing digital fingerprints and facial photographs, which will be linked to smart national ID cards containing microchips. At the heart of the issue is a major concern about privacy. So on July 23rd, Israel's High Court of Justice held a hearing on a petition filed by civil rights advocates who sought to strike down a law establishing a government biometric database and associated two-year pilot program. The law approving the database enacted in 2009 met with public resistance until the government backed down and agreed to begin with only the pilot program. The pilot was supposed to be a test for determining whether it was actually necessary to move forward with building the biometric database, but an interior ministry decree that sanctioned the program did not actually contain any criteria to measure whether the program succeeded or failed. While three justices voiced harsh criticism of the, of the database, it didn't move to cancel the project altogether. Instead, they determined that the pilot program description has to present clear criteria for success and failure so that it would be conducted as a true test. You know, in the U.S. or somewhere else, you, they wouldn't even bother giving even the public any input at all. That's what they do. You know, and see, we're too happy with entertainment, you understand, cheap entertainment. It doesn't matter how you're living. Your standard of living is plummeting and you're eating poisoned foods and all the rest of it. As long as you're happy, you get lots of sex and, and you can Twitter and, and uh, call up your, your little bot friends, then you're quite happy. You've been well, well put under during this war and you don't even know that because you're, you're the happiest folk who've been put under in a war that's ever existed in history. I hope you understand that. They know this. They know this. I used to read the articles, too, about uh, revolutions. Uh, many articles and some good books on revolutions and histories of rebellions and revolutions. And what they said, though, was after the, 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 the communist ones didn't pack it in in Russia, they simply moved west. And that was the, the agenda, of course, was to move west under the guise of Greening and the Green Party, by the way, that was started up by Madeleine Albright's granddaddy in Russia. Uh, he was a, a right-hand man of Stalin, for those who didn't know that. But so they, he started up the Green Party. That was part of the moving of, of all their, 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 their agenda into the West uh, through this new uh, austerity, greening, all that kind of stuff, which would totally control the populations because that's what communism is all about, you see. That's what it's about. And um, you can understand that uh, it's, it's all here. This is, and they said, too, there would never be another communist-type revolution. See, communism moved on from where it used to be. So there wouldn't be a, a communist-type revolution where people were starving 
and and job uh, getting jobs was terrible, massive inflation. That would bring on revolution. However, if the public, the general public, have played things, little toys they can play with of all ages, then they, they, would, they would never rebel. And it's true, you've got all this cheap entertainment. As long as it's cheap and everyone has access, even the ones at the bottom. Why do you think Obama gave out uh, free iPhones to all the people on welfare? And other countries have done the same thing. Why do you think every country is making sure that those at the bottom can get high-speed internet and things that are very cheap? They know what they're doing, you see. No one's going to rebel. And that's, that's how well they, they do studies on all this stuff that I'm talking about. All the time. And they've got the pulse of the public in real time. They, they know what people are bitching about. It's generally about somebody's boobs, are they real or they're not, you know, and some star or some celebrity. That's what they're bitching about. Anyway, getting back to the article, uh, and, and this database in, in Israel, they're getting some input into it, which most countries don't even get to. They don't even get to input into it. And this other article is Jewish communities to coordinate the debate on circumcision because, remember, Germany ruled they shouldn't circumcise because of so many children getting herpes, especially from a particular strange tradition of some of the groups within Judaism who use the mouth to uh, get rid of the blood and stop the blood uh, from, uh, from flowing. And you can imagine what that can do. One guy in New Jersey, I think, was, was fined uh, because he'd passed it on one rabbi to have quite a few children. I mean, that's a, but imagine getting that at eight days old. I mean, do you want that to happen? Anyway, Jewish communities to coordinate debate on circumcision. And it says Austria's Jewish community said Monday it was working jointly with its German and Swiss counterparts to keep religious circumcision legal after repeated calls for an end to the practice. The IKG was organized in international coordinating groups with the Jewish communities in neighboring Germany and Switzerland. And it says here, this follows a heated debate that began last month when a court in the western city, German city of Cologne, ruled that circumcision observed by both Muslims and Jews on religious grounds was tantamount to grievous bodily harm. A couple of hospitals in Switzerland followed suit, saying they would at least temporarily suspend such operations. You're not supposed to do operations in medicine uh, unless you could, it's supposed to cause no harm. And you only do operations that are, that are utterly necessary. That's all gone by the wayside, of course, with cosmetic operations, etc. So everybody's broken their oaths and everything else as we go down the tubes and, and greed rules the, the system. And so the governor of Austria's westernmost uh, Vorarlberg province, Marcus Wallner, meanwhile issued a provisional recommendation to hospitals not to perform circumcisions even on religious grounds. This prompted an unprecedented joint call by Austrian Jews, Muslims and Christians on Friday for the government to issue a clear commitment to religious freedom and to the legality of male circumcision. So, you know, the the craziness of all things just keeps going round and round. There's lots of crazy things out there. And also put up the hockey shtick. It's called the hockey shtick. The new paper shows Antarctic temperatures haven't increased over the past 500 years. That's the latest one. It's from the top scientists. So that's another. It's not a nail in the coffin because, you see, it's a belief system now. And I've got to get it through because, you see, the big corporations want it through because they can get free um, uh, credits for trading amongst themselves for carbon. The governments give them millions of dollars each in credits to start it off, and then they make some profits off it. They, they, they hire areas and call them carbon sinks and cons like that, and they trade in it and get lots of cash. So the big corporations want it, and all the little greenies is at the bottom that really are, really are red. Um, they want it too.
Also tonight, Sue, I'll put up mining.com. It says, not convinced Chinese, uh, Chinese trade is a disaster. Take a look at these shipping numbers. And it's quite good, this, this article, for those who can, can hold their, their concentration for uh, five minutes. But it says, shipbuilding and shipping capacity in China surged as the country's demand for raw materials escalated in tandem with breakneck economic growth and investment in infrastructure. China has 20 ports that can handle more than 100 million tons of cargo and in 2010 built ships with deadweight tonnage of 65.6 million tons, overtaking long-time top builder South Korea for the first time. It says it overtook Japan in 2010 to become the world's second largest economy, and it dominates the global trade in just about every commodity, including iron ore, representing some 60% of the global 1 billion ton seaborne trade, copper 38%, Coal, 47%, nickel, 36%, lead, 44%, and zinc, 41%. Fast forward a couple of years in rates, orders, and activity in the shipping industry, especially dry bulk vessels used to haul iron, ore, and coal, and they're painting a very different picture. And they give you all these different uh, articles and statistics from the Baltic Dry Index. That's that's the main one you've got to look into, the Baltic Dry Index, Index, which takes all the data from all every single ship across the planet per 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 day and per month and per year, and it's just fantastic, incredible uh, how much stuff is going into China. Their big ships and how much they're building there too in big ships, and they're mainly using their own big ships now. In fact, they're actually banning other big ship holders to, to even come into Chinese ports. They want to use nothing but Chinese because they're just churning these things out. But it's fantastic. And it's putting a lot of uh, uh, Western uh, shipping businesses out of business big time. So, as I say, those who are investments are quite well aware of Baltic Dry Index. They watch that all the time. And it says, prosecutors turn to extreme indifference charge in Colorado shooting case. So the prosecutors are taking advantage of a well-used tool that legal experts say could help ensure a conviction of the former graduate student accused of opening fire at midnight showing off the new Batman film, the charge of murder with extreme indifference. For each of the victims of the shooting spree in a Denver suburb that left 12 people dead, 58 wounded, prosecutors charged James Holmes with two murder counts, one standard first-degree murder charge plus one count of murder with extreme indifference. They also filed two attempted murder counts for each of the wounded survivors. In Colorado, a first-degree murder charge can be brought against someone who intended to murder another person, but it can also be brought where there is evidence of extreme indifference to the value of human life generally. I guess they should uh, charge every one of the military branches as well, especially the guys at Planet O years ahead. As the state laws that recognize murder with indifference are not uncommon, said Daniel Filler, a professor at Drexel University's law school, but in some cases states treat murder with indifference as a lower grade offense than premeditated murder. In Colorado, murder with extreme indifference is also first degree murder. By charging Holmes with both crimes, prosecutors are giving jurors two opportunities to find Holmes guilty. Since this is a prosecutor's insurance policy, Filler said, nobody's going to think this wasn't an unbelievable, crazy, reckless act. This is before he's tried, mind you, too. I mean, <laughs> interesting, they always say that, and they used to always say in the States, too, it doesn't matter what they see or what they catch on film, they're supposed to say, you're innocent until proven guilty, because the proven guilty part is where you truly get evidence, you know. Anyway, it seems that he's been convicted already by everybody, and uh, they want to ensure that he goes the way of others before him. 
It says here, Romney denies criticizing Palestinian culture. It's quite, I, mean, I love these gaffes that the politicians, the little front men that are picked by the real boys who run the world, and they're always making gaffes on things. So Romney's in Jerusalem, it says, and um, insisted Tuesday he was not specifically talking about Palestinian culture at a fundraiser in Israel on Monday when he was quoted suggesting culture was a reason for the economic disparity between Israel and the Palestinian territories. It's culture. Was he meaning one was more aggressive than the other? What was he meaning? He says, that's an interesting topic that deserves scholarly analysis, but I actually didn't address that, Romney told Fox News' Carl Cameron, adding he didn't intend to talk about the subject in his campaign. Instead, I'll point out, he says, that the choices of a society have a profound impact on the economy and vitality of that society. Palestinian officials accused Romney of making racist statements after the Republican candidate was quoting comparing Israel's economy with that of the Palestinian territories. <laughs> I mean, what a, that, that is a joke in itself, isn't it? As you come here and you see the GDP per capita, for instance, in Israel, which is about $21,000, but it's not actually, it's about 31000 but you got that wrong too, and compare that with the GDP capita just across the areas managed by the Palestinian Authority, the guys behind barbed wire, which is more like 10000 per capita, you know it's such a dramatically stark difference in economic vitality. He told a group of Jewish donors and a Jerusalem fundraiser that netted more than a million dollars for his campaign. The Republican candidate told supporters he began noting enormous disparities between neighboring countries during his time in the business world and cited uh, a 1998 book called The Wealth and Poverty of Nations by David Landers, which studied why some countries did better than others. It's because they're more aggressive. That's the state of the world. The aggressive end up ruling. Same in business. That's, that's, That's simple logic. He says, if you learn anything from the economy, economic history of the world, it's this. Culture makes all the difference, Romney told supporters. As I come here and I look out over the city and consider the accomplishments of the people of this nation, I recognize the power of at least culture and a few other things. I wonder what that other few other things are. In an interview with Fox News, Romney played down his perceived gaffes during his foreign tour over the last week, including his comment to NBC News that he found London's Olympic preparations disconcerting. He accused the media of being more interested in finding something to write about than focusing on real issues. They'll instead try to find anything else to divert from the fact that these last four years have been tough years for our country, Romney said. So there's your, oh, what does it matter? Who's the matter with the put in? They're all front men. You, know, you do know they're all front men, I hope. Hmm? And this other article on something similar with Romney, it says, it says his trip to Israel yielded $1 million in campaign contributions. Here they go abroad to get campaign contributions, and people can't wisen up. But it came at a cost of sounding uninformed about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. As you come here and you see the GDP per capita, for instance, in Israel, which is about $21,000, compared with the GDP of capita across managed by the Palestinian Authority, which is more than $10,000 per capita, you know it's such a dramatically stark difference in vitality, it says. But then it goes into... The fact is the economic disparity between Israelis and Palestinians is actually much greater than Romney stated. Israel had a per capita domestic product of about $31,000 in 2011, while the West Bank and Gaza had a per capita GDP of just over 1500 according to the World Bank. Because you know what happened to Gaza too? They kind of destroyed it and burned it with phosphorus bombs and stuff like that. While the money line might have been red meat to some of Romney's donors, he also declared Jerusalem the capital of Israel. Offending some, the words didn't really suggest his strength in dealing with the region's complex historically fraught conflicts 
and you kind of came away with the feeling that after Palestinian issued a statement via Saheb Erikat, a senior aide to the President Mahmoud Abbas, it says this man doesn't realize that the Palestinian economy cannot reach its potential because there is an Israeli occupation. <laughs> it's kind of obvious, eh? Uh, I guess to be a president, you don't have to know that. It seems to me this man, Romney, lacks information, knowledge, vision, and understanding of his region and its people, Ekrat said. He also lacks knowledge about the Israelis themselves. I've not heard any Israeli official speak about cultural superiority. He says, oh, well, you win some uh, money and you lose some integrity. And so there you go. It really doesn't matter who they put in, though, does it? I mentioned a while back about Rockefeller and Rothschild signing a big deal to put their wealth together. It probably was arranged hundreds of years ago that eventually do this at this particular time, but it says Rothschilds and Rockefellers' families team up for some extra wealth creation. The Rothschild and Rockefeller families have teamed up to buy assets from banks and other distressed sellers. That means they're broke, so they'll buy them all for peanuts, like they always do. In a union between two of the best-known names in financial history, RIT Capital Partners, which is chaired by Lord Rothschild, has taken... A 37% stake in Rockefeller Financial Services, the family's wealth advisory and asset management wing. It snapped up the holding from French Bank Society General for less than £100 million. The Transatlantic Alliance cements a five-decade acquaintance between the now ennobled Jacob Rothschild, 76, and David Rockefeller, who's 96, the grandson of the ruthlessly acquisitive American oilman and philanthropist Jane John D. Rockefeller. Then the philanthropist that eventually became a philanthropist by bringing two makeover specialists in after he had the, the miners in their tents all gunned down that wouldn't go to work. They run the world, folks. Great philanthropists. They, they own the foundations and armies of NGOs. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. It's interesting too that the Rothschilds and on their side of the, the, the Atlantic and of course the Rockefellers on their side were the guys who really got going with the knowledge of international affairs. And before that they were called other names like the, the Rothschilds and Cecil Rhodes Foundation, the Milner Trust, etc. And over in the States they set up Rockefeller to do the same thing. These are the guys who drafted up the idea for amalgamating countries into, into trading blocks and free trade using London as the basis for it, which is still on the go today. And out of that came all the European Union, uh, the Pacific, the Asian Pacific uh, treaties and all the rest of it, because they run the whole show, including NAFTA, uh, GATT and everything else with the World Trade Organization. And here, so here it goes. The Trans-Pacific Partnership Agenda 21 meets uh, global corporate takeover. The Trans-Pacific Partnership, and again, the public have no input into this at all. This is done, right? It's a key trade initiative that the Obama administration claims is seeking to support jobs for American workers by boosting American exports to the dynamic Asia-Pacific region, promoting manufacturing, innovation, etc. However, the agenda of the TPP, this Trans-Pacific Partnership, is a secularization of customs and border patrol services, telecommunications, corporate communication policy that directly affects immigration, corporate investments, and the addition of intellectual property rights with focus on copyright limitations. The TPP held in secret. This is the world you live in. And again, these guys that I just mentioned, Rockefeller and Rothschild, were the first ones to start off big philanthropic institutions 
foundations to stop paying so they wouldn't have to pay taxes. And they've got these big foundations, thousands of them across the world, that hire multi-thousands of NGOs to lobby government. Anyway, it's held in secret. It's actually a multinational trade agreement that seeks to extend intellectual property rights across the globe creating an international enforcement scheme. In a White House statement, Obama seeks to incorporate America with Canada and the other TPP countries in a next-generation regional agreement that liberalizes trade and investment. Now, as a small businessman, you won't be in on it. It's only for the big corporations that they allow in on it, same as Britain. The press release explains that TPP will build upon the commitments of the North American Free Trade Association agreements, NAFTA. You see? The DPP defines intellectual property as copyright, trademarks, patents, geopolitical indicators. The leaked document drafted as the U.S. TPP Intellectual Property Rights Charter clearly states that, and I'll put the links up for this tonight too at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, states that negotiators for Obama are actively pushing for the adaptation of copyright measures that further restrict what is outlined in the Anti-Counterfeiting Trade Agreement, ACTA, and other similar international treaties. There's an initiative to control global IP enforcement by the United Nations under signatory treaty wherein nations will be mandated to enact domestic laws that have been worded to reflect the provisions in the TPP agreement. As in the Digital Millennium Copyright Act of 1998, federal agencies are placed in control of digital locks and enforcements of overblown statutory damages on claims of copyright infringement, as well as restricting the U.S. Congress from altering existing IP governances as changes in technology and innovation demand such elasticity. Now, I've got all the links for that on this particular article I'll put up tonight, too. And you can see what's coming. But this uh, this partnership also has to do with the free uh, movement, or it doesn't say it in this article, but free movement of goods, uh, services, and, and, uh, and labor, by the way, labor from all over the Pacific region can come into the States, Canada, and elsewhere. And it also means, too, that the third world countries involved and those ones um, uh, will be paid big sums by you to build hospitals, schools, factories, and then they'll ship what's left of your factories over to them, just like they did with the GATT Treaty. And you haven't been asked up an opinion on anything because, you see, you keep prattling on about democracy, but you have never had it. Never will either. From Hamish Mustafa, Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>